What's going on, everybody? Sinners and saints. Yes. Welcome to another episode of Inside Out. Today we have a pretty cool episode. We have Steve Gladen, who's an amazing friend and a long-term pastor here at Saddleback. I think Steve is one of the longest serving pastors here. Oh, really? Yeah, I think okay. so. We'll, we'll ask him. We'll find out. Uh, yeah, so the cool thing about Steve is we see him at almost everything we cater. Yes. He's always quick with a joke, he's super funny, so I'm really looking forward to this episode. And a and good friend. Well, every man's to be seen, I just met. But uh, <laughs> hopefully after know. this podcast, it will be. So with no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Steve Blake. Hey, Steve, welcome aboard. I think it's good to be aboard this ship. I, I can't tell if it's sinking or is this a Paul in the shipwreck experience? Oh, it's a little hole. Is this a cruise line? a little bit of water. This okay. is a step of faith experience, Steve. And this is, uh, of course, Steve like, has so many responsibilities here at the church. And just the fact that you would sit down with us for an hour and just hang out and talk means so much and that says a lot about who you are so. well if you know chip and george usually when they're doing anything there's food involved so when they said do you want to do a podcast at noon i said well <laughs> i thought i was connecting some dots but there ain't no dot to connect right here right now but i have found them in their new zone it's just not always food but you know hey it's great to be here with you guys it's fun to, Thanks, to d- dialogue I, I i love the inside out and uh, I mean, you've been there since the beginning. It's just it, in the talking phase. Yeah. When we were at the, uh, yeah, it was, the campus. It was birthed around a, a couple slabs of meat yeah. and <laughs> uh, a few other things. So. <laughs> it was meat. It was, it was, it was, all good things come from meat. Yeah, there you go. That's right, because Steve was telling us that he. Kurt was there. Kurt was there. Yeah. Kurt came up with the idea. George was kind of pitching the idea. I was yeah. like, George, what are you saying? What are you doing? Yeah. And he was saying, hey, we're going to do this podcast. And it's basically, I've been here a long time, so I'm kind of like the insider here. And I'm a, a kind of follower of Jesus for, gosh, I think 50 years now. Mm. And George is brand new to the church. And so it's kind of, it's great to hear his perspective as somebody that's, you know, never really been to a mega church and never really interacted and, um, you know, well, I think they know this. The listeners know the story. That's true. Steve's our guest, not us. But, but, you know, if you don't know the story, jump back into a few of the episodes prior to this Ooh, one, and you'll, like you'll, you'll, you'll start to get a little like bit that. of a, a little glimpse into their minds, and you'll <laughs> think I'm inside <laughs> out at that point in time. I know. I, know. I, I apologize in advance. Yeah. <laughs> don't apologize to me. Apologize to the listeners. No, you know, no, 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 But we're here for you. Okay. And like Chip said, how long have you been here? You're one of the more... Uh... Yeah, I've been here 25 years, Ooh. and I've uh, watched a few of my pastors who have been here longer than me retire, and hopefully I'm not quite on that train yet, but I, I think Kurt is the other pastor who is longer than me by about exactly... Kurt Johnson? Yeah, oh, Kurt Johnson, wow. one year. Oh, wow. One year, so I, I, if I bumped him off, I'm the longest. <laughs> so, yeah, survival of the fittest, but no, it's... a. Uh, it's fun whether people have been here a long time or a short time. There's always things to learn about and discover and see what's going on in their lives. So I'm excited so about that. 25 years as a pastor? No. Uh, just pastor, as a member? Just as a, I came here uh, in the early part of 98 as a, I was brought on as a pastor, but I've been in ministry since that 82, 83, okay. 84 time. Okay. Wow. Probably. So- before that, what was your life like? Were you uh, a religious kid? Were you like what? Twenty five years ago? How old? Well, you? I mean, I mean, you can't ask how old I am right now. Uh, Come yeah, on, yeah, man. We're, we're still on the first date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sixty two. Okay. And um, uh, raised in a moral family, but I wouldn't say and, and a somewhat religious family. Uh, I guess by name and trait, we were uh, Catholic. And so you kind of went to mass every once in a while. You kind of went down your road and yeah. stuff like that. You did your time. Yeah. Uh, and so my parents, my mom was raised Methodist. My dad was raised Catholic. Interesting. And so it was uh, quite a cocktail in there. But right. be honest with Christmas you, like? 
Uh, Christmas, <laughs> Christmas was fun. You did right. midnight mass. You came home. You opened gifts. Yeah. Okay. And then, then you had a dinner after that of all okay. craziness. So, but it was, it was more of a family that was built around a religion versus a relationship. And so uh, often, by that? Uh, so often in the church world, people think of of being a follower of Christ as a as a religious thing. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. Uh, and they miss the relational side of what Jesus is all about. And so what happens is you can do things out of rote, like, dude, I could, I could probably still, uh, you know, do my Hail Marys and my Our Fathers, and I, I can know all those, those things that you grew up with rote. But when, it's, when the relationship is void, then you start to get into, you know, a, a mixed bag of what does Christianity look like because you do things – but there's no relationship that's anchoring it. Right, right. And so when I was growing up, by nature, I was a kid that made my parents look good. So I'm one of six in my family. And what number? Uh, I'm baby of the family. Oh, wow. that, that so, so I know. So my, my older siblings are, are not too excited about me. <laughs> but that's just bitter. Bitterness, bitterness is a deep root. And so uh, they've got a lot of issues to deal with. But that's okay. But... Um, but anyway, so I was a kid that, you know, kind of grew up as a baby of the family and made my parents look good. I have a brother above me that made my parents look bad. So there's a personality trait that I was a rule follower. Now, I was raised Catholic and I was raised in a military home. My dad was a 23-year Navy aviator, flew, uh, flew off carriers in World War II and uh, just had, you know, crazy things. They found Christ as in a relationship form at 54 and so, you know, I was kind of in, in that mix. I was still at home, so was my sister. And if those of you that are listening, I my my sweet tooth is I'm always about doing community and small groups. And my sister, uh, no shock, went to a small group, found a relationship with Jesus first, a lot of rules and regulations, and then came and brought that into our house. And it's it's really was the seedling that she brought the gospel into our house. We had a Bible. Never opened it, uh, and you know had religion, but never really practiced it. You know, it was more the the greasy grace. You know, you, so you that's yeah. that lack of relationship. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because you know, when you have when you have a friendship with somebody, anybody, there is a different level of community than when I have a someone who's friends on Facebook. Right. Right, 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 you know, right. I, you know I, I have countless thousands of friends on Facebook yeah. or social media, uh, the different platforms I'm on. But the problem is, is that sometimes that's people's religious relationship. It is, right. you know, I've got lots of things. I've done lots of stuff, but there's no relationship that takes it to that next level of going, you know, making it a. Uh, really something that's all about community. Intimate. Yeah, intimate is a great word. Right. Yeah, well, it's a huge difference between knowing about somebody and having a relationship, like yeah. you're saying. And that's such a cool story, Steve, about how you went from kind of being moral and religion to having a relationship, which yeah. is awesome. You know, and that really makes me think of something you told me, Chip, a while ago when we were talking in the girl house one time, and you had said that nothing wavers my relationship with God. That's what's important to me. Not whether somebody's Catholic, not whether somebody's Muslim, whether just that they have a relationship with God, I find them to be a brother or a sister in Christ. And I, no, you didn't say that? Well, I, well, that's a whole other topic. That could have been a verb. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but to, his point, his, to his point of it's, it's kind of superficial unless you have that relationship with God. And to where you were saying, I th- the reason why I made that correlation was because it doesn't matter if that person is worshiping in their way. It's just important to you that they're worshiping at all. They have a relationship with God, so you can't relate to them. Uh, I think, no. uh, yeah, my comment was that I think we can stress what we have in common with people from different denominations. For instance, Catholics, right. uh, you know, that's the same God that I worship. Uh, and, you know, Presbyterians, Evangelicals. And I love the fact that we can stress what we have in common and that we believe that you know that relationship. That yeah. have a personal relationship. Personally, with God. that was what it was. God right. through Jesus Christ. Yeah, and I think the line of demarcation for, for a lot of those is uh, a lot of them are built on different different substance points of 
of that relationship with with a god but when you take it into christianity it's a it's a level uh, i wouldn't say a level deeper but it's another level of intimacy with who how jesus the role jesus plays in that whole relationship with your relationship to what it means to be a follower of Christ. As opposed to Catholics in their relationship with all these other people instead of just one or. And again, you don't want to get into the place where you were being judge and jury, yeah. uh, which were not, but there, there is, there's a place. Yeah, of course you can have the opinion are in, in Christianity. It's based on a relationship with Jesus Christ, which can, some people go, wow, that's pretty exclusive or, it's just something that's available for anybody if, if they want to take it. And again, uh, there's people that are more simplistic in their religious views where uh, if you just say it, they'll believe it. And there's not much research done with them. But there's other people that are going, well, why and how? And, right. you know, where does that go? And why is it Jesus or why is it why is it Muhammad or why is it Buddha or why is it something like that? And you can get into all these conversations on different religions that are out there. But again, you you want to kind of see where where is where's the role that Jesus plays? Because that is the, the line of demarcation. Yeah, you can be with a lot of people and you can talk about God. And it's great. Moment you mentioned Jesus, boy, the conversation changes. Right. Unless right. you, unless the hammer hit your thumb and you totally. go, you go, Jesus, <laughs> uh, you know, and then everyone goes, oh, that's cool, that's cool, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you want to kill a party, you just say, you know, when I'm at a party and someone says, hey, what do you do? I go, yeah, I'm a pastor. Uh, it's like saying you're a cop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, one thing that you said that was interesting to me too, and then when I'm finding more and more that I'm hanging out at Saddleback, uh, I noticed that more people grow up Catholic and go to Christianity rather than grow up Christian and go to Catholic. I, that seems to be more of the underlying story, like Chip, that was your, your thing, right? Yeah. yeah. I know now, now it's yours. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I talked to a couple of people that, that yeah. Just, our big joke at Saddleback was, is that we're the largest Catholic church in Orange County. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> which is true. But now again, to, to my Catholic brethren out there, uh, when the Jesus movement happened in the 1970s, there was quite an awakening in the whole thing. Don't worry, George. Nobody heard this. No, this bottle crushing. Sorry, I'm always on shit about his. Yeah, <laughs> I know, dude. These 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 guys have some cool signals. This this should be done on video because man, there's all kinds of hand gestures. I'm just like going, dude. I'm at a baseball game. I'm watching the I'm watching the first. I'm watching the first and third base coaches going back and forth. I'm like going. I don't know this cool this cool lingo they got going, but that analogy that, that, over that, that's another one, and we'll, we'll talk about that later. That's but so but you know there is that that place of you know uh, in the Catholic Church there was a, a, an awakening of really bringing the Word of God back in, and I, there's some some Catholic churches that I know that are sometimes more evangelical than other places, and this is where a lot of people get hung up on. You know, which religion banner am I holding? You know, which which jersey do I have on? And the main thing is, you know, what's the relationship that you have with God who sent his son Jesus to die for your sins? And that's where, you know, the Jesus factor always kind of messes people up in a lot of things. And and uh, and so anyways, you're, you're making an analogy of, you know, a lot of Catholics become uh, Christians and back and forth. But, you know, the main thing is don't worry about what's the tag. I mean, I know people at Saddleback that are very godly, great followers of Christ that make a, a great impression with people. I know people at Saddleback that sometimes they don't make a good impression. I'm trying not to look at you, <laughs> make you feel guilty. But there, there's there's great people in some in some forms of different denominations and there's there's people that are bad and and that's why when you distill it down to and that's why i love the term are you a follower of christ now i may be a follower of christ and i go to sound like church or i may be a follower of christ and i go to a parish i may be a follower of christ and i go to a nazarene church or whatever but the main thing is is helping people understand what's that relationship like and how much do you really want to apply the followings of Jesus Christ in what he did on this planet that he walked some, you know, 2000 years ago? And that that is where a lot of people that's where the acid indigestion hits, because, you know, 
they're, they're more about things of the world or different pieces. And, and we're all working on stuff. But the point is, is that you, you've got to, how are you in that relationship of following who Jesus is? And then, you know, how does it play out in the 24-7 aspects of your life? Yeah. Do you think you were saying, you, you were also saying um, that, you know, you say Jesus and it's a conversation killer. But to walk with Christ, I think that, that that's something that really uh, is radical today, probably more radical as radical today as it was in the time of Christ. Yeah, in, in a place that's more polarized and where, you know, again, this is this is one of those dangerous slipping points where sometimes your politics is more important than how you follow Jesus. And uh, and so, you know, again, it's it's where if we get back to the basics and, and follow what the Bible says, then you have a little bit more of a common ground. Yeah. yeah. One of the things, too, that is coming to my mind when you're you're saying that is that it must be hard being uh, a leader in religion because it can mean so many different things to each individual person. Mm -hmm. And so to find that one common thing to relate on, is it hard being a pastor and trying to govern, not govern, but... Well, I mean, I, I, I love that so many people. Yeah, I mean, one of the analogies that that I love through the Bible is that, uh, and we talk about this at Saddleback, is the Bible's written on a family system. If you've taken Psychology 101, you know that their fa a family system determines how you grow up on this planet. And when you understand that the New Testament and the Old Testament are written on family systems, you start to understand the dynamics of the complexity of the question you just said. Because when you understand, and that and that's why in, in, in Timothy, when uh, you have the qualifications for a pastor, one of the most important things is, can you manage your family? Not is your family perfect, but can you manage your family because you need to know, you know, what it's like in a family system. Hmm. The, the church is a, the family unit is a microcosm of the church, church's family systems. That's why throughout the New Testament, a lot of the analogies are, are parent-child, not teacher-people. Interesting. And so, when you understand that, then you start looking across the church. And at Saddleback, we have a we have a big family. We have tens of thousands of people who attend here. But you also understand that in in my family, I mean, my goodness, I have I only have two kids, and Lisa and I hang with them, and and. Do, just trying to get on the same wavelength with those two kids. I'm just like, well, same gene pool, but dude, it's, it's an A-B test. And so uh, part of it is, is you understand that every person learns differently. And it's right. important. Uh, I have a kid that learns, uh, two kids that learn differently. But, you know, what I've, uh, when I'm studying, you know, there's many different ways that people learn. And everyone thinks it's like the educational system. One person stands in front and talks and other people apply. But when you look at, that is the biggest swatch. And to the school system in America, I totally get why you do it. That's 40% of the pie. The other 60% are a bunch of little pieces of how people learn differently. And it's good for us to know that because in what you're talking about, George, with Christianity and helping people learn, the reason why we are so adamant at Saddleback about temple courts, one talking to many, and house to house, when you read about the house to house movement, it broke everything down into small groups, no pun intended, because that's what I do, but it broke it up into small groups so that people could learn in the language and in the style that they do so they can, they can actually apply the teachings of what Jesus is about. And so you're asking about the complexity of Saddleback. It's huge because right. for as many people that attend, there is a different way that people learn. And you can go, that's crazy. But that's life. Look, I mean, look at your own family unit, your small one, and you understand the different complexities. And that's why at Saddleback, we, we want to get into smaller groups so that people can ask the questions and go, I get what you're saying here, but when I see someone doing this, what do I do? Or when I know I should do this, but I don't do this, what do I do? And, and how does that relationship build? So... It's uh, you bring up a great point, but it, it it's more important for the church to understand how do you help people grow up, just like a mom and dad, or a yeah. single parent mom or a single parent dad. You know, when you're in that family system, when you have a kid, your job is to raise them. I mean, I see it with you, George, and, and, and your kid, and you're like going, "There's nothing more important 
I've seen enough of his pictures. That it is so important to say, how do I help this person grow up to be a reflection of the core values that are important to me? And yeah. in the same way, as a pastor, that is the same job. And you wish you could microwave it, and you wish you could say, well, I said it yesterday, so everyone should apply it. Right. Good Lord. I right, mean, right. more times than not, the further I get away from the weekend service, I'm like going, well, what did he say? Yeah. And, you know, and so you got to reinforce that all the time. It's the same thing with your kids. You can tell them what to do. But what I have found more times than not, my kids are looking at me and going, well, this is what I saw you did. Yeah. They, yeah. they very rarely remember what I told them to do. Right. Uh, you know, that, one, that, one of the things I think Saddleback has working in its favor is that, and this is just from an outsider point of view, but I noticed that you guys do a really good job of making a huge place personal. Mm. And I don't know if it's the small groups, I don't know if it's the alpha or all these little things you have going on that are offered to everybody, but man, it really does feel like, and I know it's impossible, but it really does feel like kind of everyone knows everybody in a way mm -hmm. because they're in this group, then they're in this group, then they're in this group, then they're in this group. So when you get a bunch of little groups and put them together on a Sunday service, yeah, it, it just seems it, yeah, like it seems overwhelming and it seems big. But people are a creature of habit, and as long as you know seven or eight people, sociologists will tell you that, the United States Air Force did a study on that, uh, you know, but it, as long as you know a certain chunk of people, the place feels small. And you start to find out, you know, people come into the worship center and they sit in the same general area, the same general time. And all that. So there's predictability that happens with that. But you bring up the exact point that you know trying to drive home is right. that if you can if you can make a few friends, if you can and you can go deep, and you like to use that analogy. And this is what I do with my own kids. You know, you know, you want to get them to a point when you look at an iceberg. Twenty percent is above the water. Eighty percent is below the water. And the gold in a relationship. And the messiness in a relationship is what's below the waterline. Yeah, it's a great analogy. And you're always trying to do with your kids, you're trying to get them to the place where they feel comfortable enough telling you some things that are happening below the waterline. Right, right. And when that happens, you know, sometimes it's scary. I mean, my, my son is super transparent. He texts me everything. I'm like, oh, don't, don't give me TMI. <laughs> yeah. Give me plausible deniability, you know, you know, with that. But, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things where he'll, he'll share below the waterline all the time. But, you know, it's the richness and gold that is there. And that's why in our small groups, we're trying to get people to, to have longevity. Because the longer you're together with people, the more you get to know what's below the waterline. So, you know, the whole we have the saying at Saddleback, you know, we want people to be able to confess temptation before you have to confess sin because oh, because like because when you by the time sin happens right. there are there's shrap metal that's blown out yeah. and it, you know depending on the size of the sin depending on the amount of shrap metal and so but but if you can get people saying hey i'm i'm thinking this or i'm feeling that or how do i handle this because they're comfortable below that waterline with you that's when the magic happens and you can start to see people becoming, understanding that as a follower of Christ, I don't need to be perfect. I do need to be forgiven. That's what the scriptures have told us. But I've got to work on that process. And that's called, the theological term is sanctification. Right. But what you're trying to do is say, how do I help people get a little bit better at, at, at being what the Bible wants us to be? I mean, and it's, it's, you can read love, patience, goodness, kindness, self-control. You can read all these things, but if you don't apply them, then the traction isn't happening. And people think you're what you commonly hear, you know, that person's a hypocrite and stuff like that. You can't be, you can't change unless you're honest yeah. about what needs to be changed. It, and it's simple. I mean, it may be uncomfortable that your son's telling all this, but it, it's a tribute to your job as a parent yeah. that he feels open enough to be honest with you. Yeah, exactly. You know, he feels comfortable with you enough to be honest with you. I feel comfortable enough at Saddleback to be honest about what I'm thinking, about my doubts, about yeah. my fears, about everything. So I think that's the best place you can be as a human is being honest with yourself 
and being able to be honest with the people that are around you. That's yeah, what you want for your little girl. And you want her to be able to say, you know, this is rolling through my head without you like going, wham. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Bad, bad. You said something a while ago that I wanted to uh, just not go over. Uh, you said they were in Timothy. There were the requirements to be a pastor. Yeah. Is that, are they like numbered? Well, no, they're not numbered, but I mean, again, it's in a family system. It's, it's kind of, it, it's, they're all wrapped around those pieces of being able to say, you know, the, these are, are the competencies that you want to want to strive towards because, you, and again, pastors are not perfect. One of the dangers that, a, that religious organizations do is they put pastors up on a pedestal and there's only one person who is perfect, it was Jesus. And so when the more people, like in my small group, people don't call me Pastor Steve. Uh, that, that left the moment my wife, you know, was talking about her marriage. So I don't know, you're no pastor. Uh, but, you know, but there is the place where it's, there's the office of the pastor that I'm called to, to strive towards these, these principles of saying, I want to put others before myself. I want to, I want to say no to things that, the Bible says I could do, but I say no to them because I don't want to, because I want to strive towards helping people come closer to Jesus first, you know, the things that I think I need or want or, or that I put, I try to put the gospel always in front and it's a calling too. But the point is, is that, you know, those qualifications aren't this list of perfectness that, that were there, but there are things that you want to strive towards to be a part of it. And when you're called into the ministry, and that's a very mystical term for people who may be on the outside going, looking in, going, oh, well, what's that calling thing? Is it a phone number? Do they text you? God text you or whatever. But there is that calling that happens that, you know, that is supernatural in the standpoint of just saying, you know, this is where I'm headed. This is what I want to be. And this is where, I, where I'm going for. And, you know, again, it's what the scripture talks about. Well, that's yeah. a great point, Steve. And I love the fact that you're talking about your calling. And I think people would love to know, how did you feel called? Like we've, we've talked about how you came to know Christ, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. What uh, what led you from becoming a Christian into going into the ministry? How did God call you to what you're doing now? Yeah, it, it's interesting. Some people, it's a lightning bolt thing where, you know, God says, boom, you're called. And you, you, you're 100% and you're diving in and you're, you're racing right after that. Uh, for, for me, and again, every story is a little bit different. When you get to know my story, there's some learning disabilities that I have that, that you know, in my own mind, I go, oh, you know, I, I can't be a pastor because of these learning disabilities, because, you know, some of them, they put education is harder for me because of the way my brain works or because I have dyslexia. And so, you know, writing's harder, reading's harder, you know, talking in front of people is harder. You know, all these things are harder, harder, harder. So when I felt God saying, you know, I want you to be in the in ministry with me, I was like going, oh, that's, a, that's a good that's a good B plan. Uh, let me tell you about my A plan uh, that, that I have going with me. And God always gives you enough leash that, you know, lets you run and stuff like that. So you can figure it out. You know, you, it's, it's, it's a fun dance that you go with God. But there was no doubt that once I became a follower of Christ and I saw my friends who were putting all their trust in certain narcotics or they're putting their trust in money or I grew up in a very affluent community that, you know, I mean, if you didn't get a new Mercedes on your 16th birthday, you were the lower class in the school system. I mean, it's like going. You grew up a chip then. Yeah, of course. You know, I was like, I'm aspiring towards it. <laughs> he got the Mercedes. I did not. Uh, but but, got his old one. but you saw people putting their, their, they were looking for happiness in things that there would never be enough things. I mean, I, my yeah. friends had mansions that were, I mean, literally, you know, mansions and you, you can have a summer home and that, and there's still a void that's right. there for people. And you saw people striving for things that were un unstrivable. And so it, it seated in me that calling, but God had to work with me in that, in that journey is about a seven year time to, before you got around to it. And in that seven years, you saw the Lord working on a number of things that said, he goes, I'm not asking you. Uh, he goes, I'm not caring what you think your qualifications are. He goes, 
these are my qualifications. He, and the, the, the little phrase that's wrong with me is God never calls the equipped. He always equips <laughs> those that he calls. Oh, and nice. so, so God is like saying, don't be, you know, I'm not, I'm not calling you in because you're a, a five-star ESPN, you know, athletic rating. I'm calling you because I've got some things in store for you. If you would just trust me enough to go that route. And, and then again, we're back into that relationship side. It's like, do I trust God enough that when he says X, Y, or Z, do I move closer to him or do I go, oh, I'm a little scared. And so that's why the enemy always loves to play in two camps, isolation and fear. And if, if the enemy can get you isolated, then fear plays a role. I mean, think about that. You know, when, you know, fear is present with you, you're generally isolated. Uh, because you, if you're with a group of friends and fear comes in, then you can handle it a lot better. Right, safety in numbers. That's a great point. And I love what you said, that God uh, equips the call. And uh, and I think we all have unique gifts and we all have unique abilities, but really the work of God is based on his power and his timing. And he uses, I heard someone say one time, well, first of all, like you were saying, we all fall short. <laughs> None of us are perfect. Yeah. But that's the glory of it, is that God does perfect things for imperfect people. And we're flawed, but it's not. I'm not doing ministry based on my own good ideas or my own abilities, but really on the power of God. And I think those are the most powerful ministries. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder, like, is that like, you guys ever think, like, okay, let's just say Christianity is a team. You're drafting players. Well, you're not going to draft the worst players. You're going to try to draft the best. Yeah. Well, so yeah, but why all these, let's take the weakest guy and equip them. Let's take the unperfect and make them perfect. What's wrong with saying, hey, God chose me because I'm awesome. No, I, I think it's a, it's, it's a great point. And it's a, it's a powerful piece that, that's there when you're, I think it's the, it's the converse that sometimes the best thing God can use is the obedient mm. And, and so oftentimes people say, I'm not the superstar. There's rare. When you look across, you know, uh, yeah, I'll just go with the United States. When you're looking across the United States, you know, there, there is such emphasis that you got to look the right part, that you got to be the right part. You've got to have the athleticism. You have to have the diet. You have to have, you have to have, you have to have, you have to have, that it's very quick to think. And even in Christianity, you see the mega, the mega pastors and you see them, you're like going, oh, I don't know. I could be them. I could be them. I could be them. But what we, what we quickly forget is that Jesus was the counterintuitive strategist that when he came to this world and he picked the 12 disciples, he didn't pick the who's who of Jerusalem. He didn't pick the pretty people of Jerusalem. He didn't pick the most influential people of Jerusalem. He didn't even pick the most biblically literate people of Jerusalem, which would have been the Pharisees or the Sadducees. That's so true. He picked the people Why? who were willing to go on the journey because oftentimes when you, not, I, you can't you blanket statements, but for a lot of people, when you're very talented, God tends to be lower on your totem pole because you're carrying, you're able to carry yourself through this world. So if you're good at making money, yeah. they're like going, I'm not oh, sure if I, I don't know if I need God yeah, in yeah, this yeah. whole thing. So that's, that's not true all the time, but, a, but that, that, it, it gives you a false a, confidence. Right, right. That's a very good point. And that was something that I said in the beginning. I think even like one of our first podcasts, I was like, one of the things I really like about Saddleback is you have all these super, super successful people. And they're still here. Usually people get success and they stop going to church. Yeah. They stop, you know, going to their Bible. They stop that because you're right. They think they found happiness. They think they're, they got it all now. One of the things I did like about like Kurt and you guys and, you know, even Rick Warren was like, it, it's so, uh, what's the word? It's so, uh, they make you comfortable. Yeah. about their success and their religion and it's that's not a normal thing yeah in society uh and yeah that is a good point about most people stop going to church when they get everything they think they need yeah it, it, it's it's natural in our human nature when we're good at something we 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 like to be, be very dependent on it if you, if you know if you're good at you know working out and you know and you'll go to the gym all the time because you're good at working out 
as yeah, you look across right, the table and you one. see Chip and you see Chip and Steve, you're like, oh, they may, they may, they probably don't feel comfortable doing that, you know, right there. But doggone if we don't cook great. Uh, uh, we all have our unique gifts. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Honestly, don't you think like on room full, like you got twelve dudes on yeah. your team. You got ten that are sinners, murderers, and all yeah. these people. Like you don't want a Mike Trout on there. You don't want a, one Michael Jordan on there, but. Go ahead, Steve. No, but maybe maybe they are the Michael Jordan that is in the making. Maybe they are because not everyone starts at the top. But again, as you know, you said it right off the bat, when you're talking about a team, there can be five players that are all superstars that get beat by five insignificant players because they're not playing as a team. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so and what you would quickly learn about, it's more about the team than it is about the individual. Now, can you have a great individual? Great. But if they don't want to play in a team, they can cause more chaoticness than, than that. And I think when you when you look at it, and especially when you read through the gospels, Jesus was saying, Do you want to be do you want to play on my team? Do you want to be with me? Do you right. do you do you want to do you want to trust him? And again, this is all um, you know, it's a simple game of follow the leaders, not a, a hard game to play. But if someone doesn't want to follow the leader, then the game breaks down pretty quick. And yeah. so that kind of happens throughout the Bible. You know, we, we we tend to like the parts that we like and not the parts that, you know. Was there ever weird. a time where you struggled with your religion? Oh, in a heartbeat. Oh, oh my goodness. I mean, there are all, I mean, I, there are significant moments when, uh, you know, that you've, let me just personalize it for me there are significant moments where A and B didn't line up and I'm just like going, come on, God, I'm, I'm, I'm on your team. I yeah, mean, yeah. why am I going through this? And there's the analogy of the tapestry that on one side, it looks real chaotic on the backside and on the front side, it looks like gorgeous and beautiful. And we only see the backside and so true in that. And I've always got to trust and this is where trusting in the team player, you know, I'm always going to trust that God's putting me in situations that I, that I may not like, and I may not get, but I don't see the big, I don't see the big chessboard. I don't see right. all the pieces that are moving around. And there's been many times I can remember like using the chess analogy. I can remember playing my son and he's like, Oh, why would you do that? Well, I'm thinking 12 steps right, ahead. Right. And so, but that's just because you know, I was a novice and he was a very, very much a beginner. But at the same point, oftentimes we, we try to think that, oh, you know, we know more than God. And that's where everything breaks down. And pretty much when you look at every, every you know, part in, in society, breakdowns are because we don't trust God. We don't trust his playbook. And we say, I've got a better playbook. And yeah. I'm going to go play my playbook. I, I love your comment on seeing things from God's perspective, you know, because, you know, we were talking about Jesus picking the disciples outwardly. They did not look like winners. Yeah. <laughs> you know, these were just guys that were making their living fishing or whatever. And, uh, but God, you know, Jesus saw them through God's perspective and he knew that the kingdom of God was going to go forth, not based on necessarily their amazing skills or their social status but based on the power of God. And that's the kind of ministries that are effective, I think, are people that take whatever abilities and gifts that they have and say, okay, God, use me. And like you were saying, we're all flawed. We all mm-hmm. we all mess up. But I think the, the exciting ministry to be a part of, and one of the reasons why Saddleback is, is done incredibly well is it's, it's, a, it's a movement of God. Yeah. It, it's not somebody, it's not a human idea. It's not somebody's good idea. I think God gives vision. Uh, to well, our pastors. Yeah, and, and the, the goal is to help people see where they're gifted and help them be a 10 and where they're gifted. Everyone's a 10 in something. Mm-hmm. Everyone's that Michael right. Jordan in something. The problem is, is when you try to be Michael Jordan. The problem is when yeah. you try to, or if you to never be have a chance to Steph Curry. Yeah. yeah. You're, and you're never given that opportunity right. to find what you're thinking. Yeah. One of the things that you just said that's making me think is like, I wonder if God picked all those sinners and murders and everything because I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking of Tom Brady. Yeah. Good looking, amazing athlete, beautiful wife. He's got it all. No one relates to Tom Brady and only Boston fans like him. I wonder if God did pick all 
12s guys that were Jordans. Nobody relates to those guys. Yeah. No one wants to hear how I should live my life by a perfect individual. I want to hear how to live my life by a chip. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? A regular dude. I don't want to hear. I, I think there was a compliment somewhere <laughs> deep down in there. I I, I'm not sure cool. where. I don't want somebody cool or smart. Somebody <laughs> tell me what to do. You know, you want somebody relatable is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? And if you're getting told how to live your life by somebody who's just manicured and perfect, you're just like, get out of here, dude. I don't know. And for the notes of the podcast, I'd like to make notice that he picked <laughs> Chip and not Steve. <laughs> <laughs> So Steve, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, it's, things it's, that are relatable. Well, think about each one of us. Who do we? Who do you feel most comfortable with? And it's those are the people that are average people. Yeah, like me. I, I mean, people it, like me. Yeah, it's like, well, well, you look at Paul. You know, God, that's your. You love to go to Paul. That's, that's your right, go-to George. for everything. That's dude. right. He wrote most of the New Testament, George. <laughs> and as a murder, and, and one of the coolest things her. about Paul, <laughs> you're hearing back podcast. You know, <laughs> he's a backstory. PTSD happening over here from back podcast, but keep going. But one of the cool things about Paul is he was just, he had humility. He was this humble guy. And you know, he said he you know, he was he was flawed and he knew it. And he and uh, you know he and God used him, which I love. And I love the fact that it wasn't because uh, he was incredibly eloquent because I think he said he claimed the opposite. You know and Trump, Trump. and and he could and the, and the reason why he couldn't say this ministry or the power of the gospel is because of my incredible skills or my insight mm-hmm. um it was because of the power of god I, I need bible studies for high school kids and college guys some of the best nights we've had are nights where i just felt ill-equipped uh i felt like i fell short i felt like i said everything wrong but the power of god worked you know i always have a plan i always want to make sure i know what i'm going to say but um, I think it's hey, you do your best and you let God do the rest. Those go. are the, uh, dude. Man, we got all kinds of Steve isms on this one. But <laughs> that's like the best victories, though, is the ones that you're not sure if you're going to win. If I go in and I thought, man, I didn't work on my defense this time, my camp was bad, everything, but I still pull out the win, those are the, the awesome mm-hmm. victories rather than the. I'm super prepared. I know I'm going to win. I got it. Mm-hmm. It's the ones that you don't really know that you're going to win. That you so, win. Steve, so you are in charge of all the small groups here. Yes, in theory. In theory. Okay. <laughs> and and I love a few of the things you said about small groups is that stuff, the magic happens in a group as opposed to a giant you know, a giant worship service. I think there's things that God does in big worship services, and then there's things that happen in small groups where people can go beneath the, you know, the water level, like you were saying. Yeah. And, and I've, I've been in a small group for a couple of decades and it's like you become family and you're, you're going through life together and you open up and they know everything about me. What, as you running these small, so I'm just, what does that mean though, running the small groups? I, I'm just curious, what, what does that mean running all the different small groups here? I, and I've heard, like, I remember, you know, there's got to be like 6,000 or 7,000 yeah. small groups here. Yeah. It, I mean, when you're, when you're talking about running it, it, it is, there's, there's a, there's a point person that, you know, kind of works with a team of people. It happens to be me. God could use anybody, but to help with the, the strategic inside, the, the strategic direction we're going, the, the playbook, you know, the insights, the coaching, the development, the training, and, and the working with all the different small group leaders that we have out there that are running all these small groups. So there's a, there's oversight to it and there's a team of people. I mean, it, it I just happen to be, you know, right. that's the point of get started. And the deal thing is a small group to get started with friends. If you have two friends, you can start a small group. Oh, okay. And what we want to do is come around you and there's a whole strategy behind it that is there's a structure there's a system and there's a strategy that all play together to help anybody who says i want to grab a couple of my friends and start to go down this journey so that they can be perfect purposeful they can be strategic that it's just not a gathering of friends like at a bar or at a book club or at a sporting event or something like that those are friends but but what happens is you understand is that because of the fall of mankind, every one of us have a spiritual void in our heart. And everyone's looking to fill that spiritual void in some way. Some people turn to sports. Some people turn to addictive behavior. Some people turn to people. Some people turn to relationships. Food. So some people turn to food. Don't, yeah. Don't look at me. Wow. Did you really have to go there? <laughs> no, really. That's oh, George. God, man. <laughs> you know, here we go, man. He pulled out. 
who pulled out the sniper rifle and just took out two players with one shot. But, I just think that's the hardest one. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's there's, one of the hardest. There's, there's, there's all kinds of things that people can try to fill that spiritual void with. And the beautiful thing about what makes our small groups different is that we're working on attacking that spiritual void so that people can say, wow, when I fill this void, and that's, you know, that's what makes cults so successful because they'll come around and they'll say, we'll help you fill the spiritual void. Cults? Cults, you know, organizations that oh, are cults. not, cults. Okay, okay. That, not cults, C-O-L-T-S. But, but, you know, it's that because humanity is looking to fill that void and, you know, they're trying to be successful to fill it. They're trying to be popular and fill it. They're, you know, there's all so many things. Fell and be famous to fill it and all. And and some of the most famous people are some of the most lonely people. Some of the most richest people are the most poor and, you know, where the relationships are, you know. And, and it's not true with every single person in those categories, but a lot of times we put our trust in things yep. and, and not where it's at. And so, you know, what we want to do is help you go along a journey so that you can take what Jesus said in the Great Commission and the Great Commandment and apply them into your own personal life and into the life of your group. So we want you to work on authentic fellowship so that you have real community with people. We want you to be focused on what's a spiritual step I want to take. We want you to realize that you're gifted by God when you accept Christ into your life. There are spiritual gifts that are given and how do you use those to push the kingdom forward? There's the, the, your life mission of how do you not just keep it all with you, you know, us, us for, you know, you know, just to sit, sout, sit, soak and sour or us seven till we all get to heaven, but that you actually care about our world. You care about your community, that you want to do things for them. And then to have that vertical connection with God, there's five verbs that Jesus gave us and that summarized the new Testament that we're trying to, you know, help people understand and, and push that forward so that they can have a life that is satisfying and fulfilling for them. And so, but here, th those five things of five verbs. Yeah. The five verbs are fellowship, discipleship, serving evangelism and worship. Okay. And we want to take those five and help people see them. And when you start to put those in your life, when you start to put those in your small group, then you start to find the harmony with what God wanted. I mean, Jesus' vision and mission, his three and, a, three and a half years that he was on this planet, was to take those five verbs and to, and to put them into your heart so that you can be a better follower of Christ. And so um, that's what we focus on. But we want to start those groups relationally with a couple of your friends because we want you to be able to, you've already got a friend. And so... You know, well, let, 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 well, let's make them have purpose. Yeah. You just said three and a half years on this planet. Yeah. I, I've never heard that. Well, I mean, I'm sorry, three and a half years of ministry. You know, when Jesus was called in, Jesus was obviously on this planet 33 years uh, and some change. And there was three years, a little over three years that he had ministry when he started doing oh, public I know ministry. That. Like you might know, I'm an outsider. Hey, <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, oh, Sometimes know. the best outsiders are the best insiders. Right, right. That's true. Uh, yeah. So I know Chip wanted to touch on this a little bit. Uh, you're married. Yep. Happily. Happily. Oh, well, I mean, I, 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 I'm happy. I'm oh, not yeah. sure about her. Okay. <laughs> so I'm, Lisa. I'm here to say Lisa's just an amazing. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Is there person. Uh, a correlation between your guys' relationship and you choosing this path in service, or is there like a backstory? Do you want to touch on that at all? No, I, I think I think the the correlation is in any relationship is you got to be great forgivers. Uh, I'm imperfect. She's imperfect. So there's no way you can have a perfect relationship. Uh, it's same thing in parenting. You know, I'm imperfect. My kids are imperfect, although sometimes they don't think they are. <laughs> uh, you know, they're imperfect. And so, you know, you're, you're not just going to have this perfect relationship unless you work on it. And part of working on it is just saying, I know that, you know, uh, I need to be a good forgiver. She needs to be a good forgiver. And when you can forgive each other, 
it, it doesn't mean that you just roll over and let people do whatever. Right, There's right. a whole part of relationships we can get into. But I think in the essence is that, you know, has have the 34 years we've been married had bumps, twists, turns and all that. Yeah. And has some of them years. sucked with a capital S. Yeah. yeah, but was there was there ever not, but but is there ever a time where one of you was Christian and one wasn't? Like, is is it always been both of you? No, we both have been equally yoked, and I think that's okay. a strong point in our relationships. We both said we want God to be the center. Okay, uh, there's some biblical scriptures that talk about don't be unequally yoked because not impossible, but it does right, it does right. put you off on the wrong. Uh, playbook right away and so you got to work on some stuff doesn't mean God can't do a miracle but I mean but through that when you when that is the crux it's there we're both saying hey we want to put God first in our relationship we want Jesus to be the center and then we understand that you know sometimes we got to act like Jesus and that means she forgives me more than I have to forgive her but you know that is the male species all wrapped up in the one yeah <laughs> we don't care about much stuff yeah they do. and and if you're willing to be a good forgiver you can make a relationship work to get the the beauty out of it and those are the that's the preciousness of you know any long-term relationship whether you're married or not the best ones are you know you've been willing to be a forgiver because you know you're going to step on yourself every once in a while yeah, totally, totally. But great advice and lots of wisdom in that. Uh, no matter how squared away you are, you just I love the whole idea of just being a good forgiver. Um, and, any relationship. Oh, yeah. just marriage. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, totally. And with your kids, too. I know lots of Especially with your kids. I know some, some kids that are estranged from their parents, and it breaks my heart. But there's usually somewhere down in there, there was a, a, a zone where, you know, one couldn't get over the other. And, right. It is. So being a, an elder, a pastor, a, a Christian for over 20-something years, how would you sell Christianity to somebody that isn't religious, like me, for instance? How would you I, I mean, it? I mean, I wouldn't sell it. I mean, the beautiful part is is I, one of the greatest compliments I get with people on my cul-de-sac that I live on is that I go, oh, I didn't pay you as a pastor. Uh, and it's like, it's not because I'm smoking weed and, right. and drinking and, you know, carousing with them and all that. It's, but it's just that people have a, a stereotype of what they think a Christian is. And that can depend on many, many different variables. But the thing that you got to understand is that in any relationship where you want to bring truth, and this is, this is a biblical principle, but when you want to bring, bring truth to anybody like George, if I want you to know Jesus in a deeper, real way, then if I want that truth to resonate in your heart, then it's got to come from a trusted resource. Right. And if it is the resource isn't trusted or the only way the resource becomes trusted is if you spend time with them. And if you'll notice through the gospels and this happens in discipleship too, that you'll notice in the gospel all through the gospels, it always talks about Jesus Paul, your 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 friend, yep. and Peter, uh, you know, three of the main, you know, a couple of main players in the New Testament, is that they spent time with people, and and it's the same thing. If you want to speak truth to your kids, it's got to be built on a platform of trust, and the only way trust happens is with time. And if I can just use this, I mean, I go to a lot of different little sporting events and I, and always if I'm outside of Staples or if I'm outside the Coliseum or something like that, not the Coliseum, the, you right. know, or the, you know, gotcha. the downtown Los Angeles, you know, there's always some guy that's on a microphone and he's saying, if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell. It's a true statement. But the problem is he's screaming it out on a microphone right. and he nobody knows who this person is and they look kind of scary to begin with yeah, yeah. and they talk scary and stuff like that so they're saying truth but they're not trusted because they've spent time with nobody and so the, one of the best things i can do is spend time with people so they can see that i'm a trusted person that when i talk about something i'm not trying to get money from them or i'm not trying to manipulate right. them or i'm not trying to move in any way and it's the same thing with my kids you know and it's the same thing in any relationship you're with we just talked about marriage a little while ago the more years you have together the more you're like going this is a trusted resource and so uh you know if they say something then it might be true right and all that and so uh the thing i would encourage you know anybody who's a follower of christ Get to know people. 
Let them get to know you and your brokenness and your goofiness and stuff like that. Is it a quick thing? No, Joe. And I, I mean, there are some people I've met. I've, I've met people on planes that are so distraught. And I happen to be the final chapter of, of God working on their lives where they're like saying, gosh, I, I would like a better relationship with Jesus. And you're like, oh, this is awesome. But more times than not, it's just you're just getting to know people and them understanding who you are. And, and you make know, it personal. Yeah. So what Jesus totally. did for you know three and a half years of what we read throughout the new testament is he spent a lot of time with people and you know help them see that you know okay there's quick. a lot of truth go favorite small group least favorite small group this small group that i'm in right now is becoming my mo most favorite <laughs> Yeah, but it would have been better if there was like a spread of food on the other uh, end of the table. There, 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 there was it. No, no, no snacks. No snacks. Come on, let's pony up a little bit. No, but I mean, uh, but I want to answer the question because the best small groups were the ones that were willing to go down the 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 road of that's less traveled in many many incidences of being real with each other. The the groups that could not go beneath the water surface were the ones that it was sad that they were like that. But, you know, the ones that, you know, you could go below the water surface, that was where the money was at. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I agree. There's always a temptation for superficiality because it's safe. Oh, it's easier, too. It's a lot easier. You know, I don't want you to know my junk. Yeah. I don't know. It's bad slang. <laughs> don't say that for the I, I don't want you to know my my stuff. That's not even much better. But, uh, <laughs> Doggone. Uh, my dark side. Favorite Bible verse. Um, it was. It's. It is so funny because in conferences I always say this because you know my dyslexia messes things up. But it's. Uh, it's. It's First Corinthians two four and five, uh, and I always say. If you take one, two, four, and five in the book of Corinthians and mix it up, maybe second Corinthians one, four, and five, and maybe you know, second Corinthians five, one through four. But if you take maybe you take one, two, four, and five and and go to the book of Corinthians and mix up those numbers in any form or fashion, you'll find a verse where where Paul is uh, talking to the people and he says, I didn't come to you with my wise and persuasive words but I came to you with the power of God. And why that was so pivotal for me is because for me, I didn't have the wise and persuasive words. I didn't grow mm -hmm. up. I grew up very introverted, very backward. I was in school year round, didn't realize it. I had dyslexia. I have another thing in my mind that whenever I take a test, because of the anxiety, I would drop letters and numbers, the last one, because my, my brain was moving faster than my hand could keep yes. up with. And so what happens in that is spelling and mathematics. They like it when all the numbers and all the letters are there. And so I would, I would flunk out, but I can remember in sixth grade, I had a teacher named Miss Beatonhead. No lie. That was her name. Beatonhead? Beatonhead. And oh, I, I, I just pray that she got married. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I hope she but, got that name. Hyphenated. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, she looked at me. She was so frustrated with me because as a sixth grader, I wasn't even a follower of Christ. But as a sixth grader, I, I would always turn in my papers and I'd drop the last letter off my first and last name. Oh, and wow. it used to frustrate her. And she goes, well, you if you're going to go anywhere, you got to learn how to spell your name. And I'm not going, I know how to spell my name. And I go, God, why am I made like this? Why, hmm. why does my brain function like this? And, and that's why when I got called into the ministry, I, what I viewed pastors of is they, they like to read and I didn't like to read unless you counted Mad Magazine. Right. Uh, you know, maybe, yeah, maybe. Unless you counted Mad Magazine. And so, but you also had to understand that, you know, they like to read. And, uh, you know, uh, that's hard for me. They like to, to talk in front of people. I was very introverted. Uh, you know, they like to write. And I, didn't, I wasn't a writer. And so you have all these preconceived values. And then it was a journey of running. It, it would take a lot more talk time. But it was a seven-year journey of when I was called into ministry to when I actually worked in a church because I kept on saying, I can't, I can't, I can't. And I, I don't have, I don't have everything you need, God. I don't have everything you need. And I stumbled across that verse. And um, so it's somewhere in Corinthians. But dig, dig. It'll be a morning devotional for you, George. Right. I uh, <laughs> fixed that story. That's amazing because 
you know, people would not know that about you, Steve. They wouldn't know about your challenges or your background. And so that's, I, I'm glad you came on and I'm glad we got to know you better. Yeah. And, and that's really kind of the theme. It's not, it's not because we have it all together. It's because of God's power at work in us that we are effective for the kingdom. Yeah, inside out and all the messiness in between. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. There it is. Well, man, I, like you said, appreciate you coming by. Uh, always fun. Always yeah, fun yeah, to hang with you guys. Do it again. And we're not serving food at an event, so, sorry you know, this that. is a new thing. No, no, no. That, that, okay. You should feel sorry about not eating at that. We should be eating right now, but, you know, normally we're serving at an We event. were thinking that because we feed you guys all the time, that the guests would actually bring us lunch for a change. <laughs> bring us a sandwich. <laughs> I'm happy to take you guys to lunch anytime. Oh, Thanks for letting me be on the show. Thank you for doing it. And you can catch Steve at his small groups on... No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate you stopping by. See you guys. Have a good night. Thanks so much, Steve. We love you. I appreciate you coming on. This has been Inside Out with George and Chip. All right, so, guys. Later.